0: What sort of psychological mindset does the customer need to be in to need to buy a product?
1: Yeah. So almost how far down the journey do you want to pick them up? And then you take them that little bit further on their journey, which usually it's through content or through an experience. That can be educational content or whatever it may be. And then your offer fits into a part of their journey. Now, what's also important is where you drop them off on the journey. I'm Amy Porterfield of amyporterfield.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com.
0: Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize,
1: automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com.
0: Now, here's your host. Ash Roy.: Hello there. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com, with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to Getmetodone.com, where you can learn more about the Productive Insights membership program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, we then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success. And your time, freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at getmetodone.com. Welcome back to the Productive Insights podcast. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, welcome to our YouTube channel. Over the past ten years, today's guest has built a business and a lifestyle around helping knowledge-based businesses reach and impact millions of people online. He's helped many businesses in the health and personal development industries launch digital products, physical products, and innovated the way in which documentaries are launched online. We'll be talking about that a bit later. More recently, he's created a flagship product and coaching group called the Offer Academy, which enables students and clients to see their magic in a new light and empowers them to fall in love with their offer so others will too. Now, this is important. We'll talk about this too. However, the majority of his week is spent checking the wind, tides and swell and planning the next kite surf, foil surf, CrossFit session or beach adventure. What an idyllic life, right? His priority is around living and enjoying this ride called life with amazing like-minded people. As it turns out, we have several friends in common. We are just two degrees of separation, Michael and I. Michael was a former software developer, a former full-time tennis player, and a certified level two tennis coach. Every year, he spends a week in heaven on the map. It's called Fiji, and basically his whole life revolves around the rhythm of the ocean. How awesome is that? Today, I'm delighted to welcome Michael Maidens from michaelmaidens.com, and we're going to talk about information products and specifically about offer creation so you can learn how to grow your business profitably by creating compelling offers that delight your customers. Welcome, Michael.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you on, man. Thanks for that warm intro. (laughs) Uh,
0: You're welcome. We have some common friends. Jack Bourne was on this podcast on episode 197, and Julie Cairns.
1: Julie, for a long time, we created a documentary together. And Jack, I think we almost talk every day. We work on some projects together and we talk a lot of kite surfing together.
0: <laughs> so you created the Abundance Code with her? Yeah. Yep. Wow. I've watched it and it's awesome. I didn't realize you were behind that. That's yeah. awesome.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, congratulations. Yep.
0: So- it's a really good Piece of content. I've really enjoyed it.
1: In Julie's interview, here, it was about three years of amazing immersion into so many brilliant minds. So yeah, it was really great to craft a story and get that out into the world and such a wonderful message.
0: Yes, yeah, so she was on episode 148 and 149. So be sure to check that out. And you can find that at productiveinsights.com forward slash 148. And the 149, which is part two of that conversation is ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 149. You're obviously a very skilled and multi-talented person. So talk to us about how you ended up in the world of offer creation and I'm sure your very broad experience, your breadth of experience, being a tennis coach, a software developer, having worked with documentaries, all this has really given you a very broad appreciation for the various elements that go into business and offers. So why don't you just give us a broad overview on why you think creating compelling offers is really critical to profitable
1: business growth? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's actually so interesting. When we start summarizing all the different things that I've done, it's just been one big, long, fun adventure. And I'm not sure I'm near the end. I'm hopefully only halfway through. But a lot of the things that I've found, like as a software developer, I wasn't just writing software. I was actually the business analyst. I was the database architect. I was a software architect. And I'd write all the software as well and then roll it out. And I loved doing that. I wrote software for McDonald's restaurants, and I was selling them in South America. Where I was writing software for the pharmacy industry and selling them all around Australia. And these were all just projects that I was doing myself. And what I realized was that when I was you know, creating these amazing, well, first of all, I love business. So I love just analyzing people's business and finding efficiencies and then writing software that would actually give them more intelligence about their business so they could make better business decisions either for the profit or efficiencies or automate manual tasks. And so what I did find was that you could have the most amazing piece of software, for example, but how do we actually get it in front of customers in a way that, um, first of all, how do we find the customers, but how do we actually communicate what amazingness that your product, in this case software, does in a way that they just think that it's an absolute no-brainer? Because as a software developer, you sit there and you just think of all the magic that it does and all these amazing things. And but unless you can communicate that in a way where people can see, all right, what's what's the actual benefit and how does it either make me more money or save me more time or get, bring more opportunities, they really struggle to actually uh, make the buying decision. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, software and tech and things like that, what I found was the natural thing, and I I see it in digital products now. You want to talk about all the features, you know, how fast something might go or how many reports it may have. And this is um, something that we may talk about in more depth. The, the traps that people get into is they talk about all the stuff. You know, they spend a lot of time all because we put so much effort into the features. And that's where we poured so much of the time. So we want to talk about it and we're excited about it. And there's workbook and there's this video and there's this and then whatever it may be. That's, we've put our time proportionally to build it. But then when it comes to actually talking about it in a way that someone wants to actually be attracted towards buying it, it's actually the opposite proportion. It's almost like you need to talk about the benefits and the transformation and all these other things way more than the actual, okay, so how fast is that going to run or the, the little details? So what I actually found was that when I went on this journey of how do I actually get these amazing products out into the world? I actually realised it was all about human psychology and behaviour. Well, I always did love humans more than computers, but that concreted it for me, and so that started off my passion of understanding us humans, the predictable ways that we see value and presenting an offer to people. To be honest, when the more that I get into offers, I absolutely love them because I actually see it's the beautiful thing that connects an amazing product with an amazing person who's sitting there with a problem. And I just see the offer as the beautiful thing that brings these two together. So I really try and look at things from that perspective. It's not a selling thing to me. It's actually just a a bringing together thing for me. And that's what the offers are.
0: There's a few things that came to my mind as you were speaking. First of all, I wanted to mention that I too used to work in the software space, but on the other side. So my background was, did my CPA and did my MBA. And I was working as an analyst at one point in these large corporates. And I used to review these business review documents and write the functional specifications. And then we would hand it over to you guys and you would do the software mm-hmm. development. I can't say I love that job, but I learned a lot along the way. And I just want to say, Michael, I've been watching your posts on Facebook and stuff, and you have this beautiful approach to life. And it's one that is, includes a lot of gratitude and openness. And I think you bring that to your approach to offers. And that just came through when you were explaining how the offer is the conduit between a person and a problem that they're choosing to solve and the offer is that thing that meets them in the middle something that I've been harping about a lot when I teach my nine step business growth uh, framework to my members in my membership program is the importance of having empathy and Seth Godin and I talked about this at some length in episode 200 and you can find out about that at Productiveinsights.com forward slash 200. I told Seth that I think empathy is one of the least used words in marketing and probably one of the most important. And he agreed and he said generosity is very important too. And we agreed with that too. If you are empathetic to your customer, you have a more nuanced understanding of their needs. And when Steve Jobs entered a world of what he considered to be ugly MP3 players because they didn't meet his Zen like expectations of design and so on. He came up with this tagline, thousand songs in your pocket. At the time, all these MP3 players were being marketed as 56 megabytes or 64 megabytes. He was like, the MP3 players look ugly. And for people who are music lovers, they don't care about megabytes. That's an engineer speaking to another engineer. They want to know how many songs. And so he came up with thousand songs in your pocket. And around that time, there was the Sony Discman, which would keep jumping because it would keep skipping. And he came up with this other tagline, No Moving Parts, when he was promoting the iPod. So I think that empathy can create that slightly different nuanced perspective on an existing product, which makes that offer that much more accessible to your audience. Touching on your points around human psychology, would you agree?
1: Yeah, totally. And I think one of the things as product creators, whether it's digital courses or experiences or or whatever our product is, we can have that empathy and go back to that place where we know what their struggles are, that we we know what they're thinking and Especially if we can enter the words and the way that they're describing their existing problem, then we can really feel understood and aligned with, with people. And I feel like almost 80% of people are teaching the journey that they have actually been through themselves. Yes. You know, if I was to put a number on it, you know, it's probably not true, but um, there is a majority of people out there who are building businesses around basically teaching their experience through which they've learned as being, have gone through it. Therefore, I feel we have this massive opportunity to actually be ultimately empathetic to where the prospects, the not yet customers, actually are because potentially you were there back however many years ago. So we get to wind back. And that's sometimes for someone who knows the solution. It's a very difficult thing to do because you'll be speaking in almost like knowing the solution to the problem but we need to actually go back and use the words that you were using when you were in and still had the problem without a solution. There is a beautiful art there to be able to go back in time in your mind and really dissolve back. Like I almost roll my eyes back when I think about it, just back to that place. What were you feeling and what were you thinking and what was a problem and what weren't you doing? What was frustrating you? I don't know if it's in the health space, it might be having clear skin or it might be confusion at what to eat when you're out or whatever it may be. And just like, what were you thinking at the time? Were you thinking about, you know, what weren't you doing? What part of your life weren't you doing? What were you sacrificing because this was such a big problem for you? Having that empathy
0: i got a brilliant use case here. I remember I was talking to Joe Polizzi, the founder of Content Marketing Institute. This is back in episode 75. And again, that's at productiveinsights.com forward slash 75. He was explaining the importance of creating content that meets your audience where they are on their journey, right, to your point. Mm. And so I said to him, let me see if I understand you correctly. This is my recollection of the conversation. If I'm looking to buy a washing machine and you have company A who's trying to push all this content around how their washing machines are the best in the world, made out of surgical steel, will last a lifetime. But Michael is about to buy his first washing machine, and he's just trying to figure out the difference between a top loader and a front loader. And he doesn't care that the washing machines are made out of surgical steel, because he's not at that point of his journey yet. In terms of the five phases of the bio journey, which we really unwrapped in episode 180, with Alexei Neocleus, again, ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 180, the customer may not be at the, the product discovery stage. They may be at the problem definition or, or the, much earlier in the piece. They may be problem unaware or solution unaware or something like that. If company B creates content around how to choose between a top loader and a front loader, and Michael goes into Google and types in front loader versus top loader because the problem he's trying to solve right now is, which one do I need? Up comes this fantastic choose sliding scale this and tells him what kind of a machine he should buy because he has this many people in his family. This is how often he washes. This is how often he does delicate wash and it recommends a perfect machine for him. There's a buy now button and it's sitting on Whirlpool's website. Who's he going to buy the washing machine from? Because it's met the Mm. audience where they're on their journey. So that subtle difference can create completely different content and completely different offers if you take the time to really, as you say, wind back and imagine yourself where your customer is imagine yourself in that situation what did the world look like then and in episode 117 i talk about how to create an empathy map which is where you think about what is my customer hearing feeling saying doing thinking right now in their
1: world. Yeah, that's that's exactly. And probably something else to um, expand on that would be decide where in the customer's journey that your product actually fits. Even even in that simple analogy, they were already at the point that they believed that they needed clean clothes. You know what I mean that's right, and yes. if you're selling green juices or something like that well is your job to you know market to people who maybe still eating fast foods or whatever or right, you, where right. do you pick people up it's like and this is what makes the offer so compelling because you think oh no well I I need people to actually be aware of their health I also need them to be maybe considering alternative options.
0: So what does a customer need to believe in business speak we call it psychographic segmentation what sort of psychological mindset does a customer need to be in to need to buy a product?
1: Yeah, so almost how far down the journey do you want to pick them up? And then you take them that little bit further on their journey, which usually it's through content or through an experience. That can be educational content or whatever it may be. And then your offer fits into a part of their journey. Now, what's also important is where you drop them off on the journey. And, Uh um, you know, because I've got a tennis background, I sort of use a bit of a tennis analogy where it's not the same tennis coach that teaches you how to hold the racket and how to win a Grand Slam tournament. It's not the same coach. You'll have people that'll go, you know, different coaches along the way. Well, I'm the person who helps the young tennis player, the beginning tennis player, know which racket, which hand to hold the racket, what all the strokes are, and maybe start up a rally. And then another coach will come along and say, okay, I'll take you from a rally to winning points. And then someone else will come along and go, I'll take you from winning points to winning matches, for example. This is very, very simple. But you can see the same coach, although they may be able to take them from there to there, it's about actually saying, no, this is what I specialize in. I pick people up here. And I drop them off here. And that's where the product drops them off. You may have your own product pyramid, which then takes people on a few little successions of growing throughout your business in offers that actually lead on to each other. Which is what I absolutely love doing. Once people get an awesome offer, it's about the next offer as well. But acknowledging that maybe there's a point in your business too where you actually hand people over. You know, if you get people to seven figures, may not be the right person to get them to eight, nine, ten. Is the same business that gets them from you know the first hundred thousand dollars a year. Is he going to take it to hey, I help people get. 10,000 employees and, and do a billion dollars or whatever. So it's kind of obvious when we speak of it like that. But from when we're actually putting the offer to people, we also just need to be very aware of ourselves, where we pick people up and where we drop them off. Yeah. And then that gets helps us work out what transformation they can expect in the promise that we're offering them for our product as well.
0: Let me ask you a question, Michael. Does the person... Who's creating the product to take a person from, say, a six figure business to a seven figure business have to have done that themselves? Because often you find coaches who are not Grand Slam winners, but they still coach people to win Grand Slam tournaments. How does that work?
1: Often they aren't, you know, they, they aren't Grand Slam winners, that's for sure. But, and that's the whole thing. A good coach may not be a good player, and a good player may not be a good coach either. They do not necessarily have to have done it, but it is also being able to have a lot of experience so they can empathize like we were talking about before. They can actually empathize with them. Okay, look, you'll be going into this situation. Most likely you'll start to feel nervous and anxious. This is how you do it. This is how you adjust and actually be able to immerse themselves with empathy into that world to the state that they can – Almost be living it themselves and go through those emotional journeys with their students and with their clients, and actually you know, learn and coach and motivate and co-create the success.
0: So one of the best ways to build empathy, in my experience, again through my membership program, was you start with audience of one and you make them a promise, you over deliver on that promise, you develop a product around it, and in my nine-step business growth plan, which actually came from working with that many members over time i found that it's all kind of iterative there's no straight line so you know empathizing with your customer involves actually making offers seeing what works what doesn't work and then you develop a deeper sense of empathy it's not like a linear progression right it's kind of zigzag so offer creation there's so much copywriting involved but to some degree, you become a better copywriter after you've launched enough offers and you've seen what works and doesn't work. We can open a whole new can of worms with copywriting now, which is an important part of offer creation. We won't go into it just yet. I guess what I'm trying to get at here is offer creation touches on so many important elements, but it's all built around the customer experience and it is built around getting the customer a result. And I really like your point about not only be clear about where on the journey you're picking the customer up, but where you're dropping them off. That was mm. something that I hadn't thought about before. So thank you for sharing
1: that. You're welcome. And that is a part of the transformation and the promise that you really are helping people with. And, you know, that's why I love the Offer Academy. It feels to me like the central place and offers. It's the central place. I used to, you know, I've done over 85 launches. And, you know, when I start with those, I start with the offer. Well, this is where I found I had the biggest return on effort. You know, I love return on effort. Like you said before, the majority of my time, I try and be away from right. the computer now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I look for where I can get the biggest return on effort and I do the same with, uh, with people in their offers because I can just see that it does, it touches on all these different things and a few tweaks to an offer. You know, we, we were in the middle of a launch one time for a documentary which was called Hungry for Change and that was about health and wellness and the, the diet industry and it was so amazing. We had so much traffic and came up with this launch which actually innovated how documentaries were being launched. People could watch the, you know, could see the trailer and then opt in to see the free screening for 10 days. And in the first 21 days, we had about 70,000 people give us their email address to be able to watch it. And then as soon as it went live, so it was from the 21st through to the 31st of March, it just went crazy. And people were able to not only watch the full documentary, but they could actually buy the DVD and the recipe book. And the opt-ins went from, I think by the end of the 30 days, the opt-ins, we had 220,000 opt-ins. So that was how many people actually gave us their email address to watch the film. And in those, so my point was actually talking about the offer, but in the early stages of that offer we were split testing different headlines. So everything else on the sales page was exactly the same, and we were split testing headlines. We had one headline converting at 6%, one converting at 8%, and the other one was converting at 12%. Everything else was different except for the headline at the top. And But the difference between 6% and 12% conversion is twice the revenue. So when you start to see simple little things like that that can just make such huge differences, now that's the control. And we had so much traffic that we were able to test and retest and have significant conversions in short windows of time, that we were able to refine and innovate. What's another headline? What's another headline? Trying all these different benefits and promises, which were being delivered, but we were learning so much through this really tight, compressed window of time. Yeah, we came up with a headline, and in the last 24 hours, that offer page was converting at 21%. So it was basically one in five people who landed on that page were actually going through with the uh, and purchasing the offer. So we had a a great time.
0: That represents a very high level of engagement. And I want to come back and talk about the Offer Academy in a minute. But something that I don't enjoy doing myself is sending a whole ton of emails. And one of the challenges I see with the launch model is is very email intensive, particularly around the launch time, you're sending a whole bunch. Is it possible to do a launch without sending that many emails and do this testing and so on, so that you're only contacting people who are interested? I spoke to Andre Chaperon in episode 140, and he talked about tagging strategy, which I found very useful. And that way you only email people who put their hand up for something. How do we strike a balance between not sending too many emails, but yet being in people's inboxes enough to be noticed because it's very, very crowded in there. these.
1: The inbox is so crowded these days. You're 100% right. And it's a customer experience question as well. I know that some people run the numbers and they know they're sending huge numbers of emails. And even though their open rates are dropping, they just know that the total number of opens and clicks are at a level that it's going to get them all the way through. See, and, and that's
0: my concern because that's causing yep. collateral damage, right? That That's what yep. we would call an economics and externality. Sending a whole bunch of emails, you're achieving your objectives and you probably yep. end up with a high refund Rate as well, which is another issue. But you're achieving yep. your objectives, but then you're offending and upsetting a whole lot of people. So, how do we do yep. the right thing by society? But also achieve our objective.
1: The thing is about what experience do we want people to have in this launch window, but what experience do you want them have as a customer? You know, because if you respect them throughout the journey, you'll also have reciprocal respect, and you know beyond the journey as well. So I do feel that if people maybe go a little bit too aggressive, well, it's all relationships. It's just like speaking to your neighbors or you know someone else that you would invite along you know i like to think of an offer as or your product or or whatever's going on it's almost like there's a party going on it's like hey we're all going to the movies or we're all going on a surf trip or something like that and all you can do is talk about how fun it's going to be you can tell them all the details the price the flights when we're leaving and all that sort of stuff and you can talk about how fun it's going to be at some stage it's over to them to decide and if you just make it so attractive that the party's happening, whether you're on board or not, you wouldn't really start ringing them up every hour. You need to be aware of, you know, communicating with them enough that they don't go, ah, oh, forgot about that. Sorry, I was so yeah, busy. Exactly. And, yeah. But not so much that they're just like, even if I was interested, I'm now no longer interested because of how That's you're right. acting sort of thing.
0: What's that balance? I mean, I've seen some people email three, four times a day, which I feel it's too yeah. much. And then some people like me don't are too scared to email more than once every fortnight, which is also probably not good.
1: And I think it is, it just comes down to the experience that you want to give people. And, you know, in that example, of the Hungry for Change documentary, I remember talking to the people in my mastermind and what we did on the very last day, we actually thanked them for coming on the journey with us. It was like a gratitude email. It was like, thank you so much for coming on the journey with us. The idea in, in any of our marketing and launches is to give people an amazing experience, whether they buy or not. You know, and that was always our focus. And that's what my focus in all the launches are, is just give people an amazing experience. You know, really, you've got an opportunity to give people the ability to see something different, to see the world from a different place, to go away a different person from your marketing experience. And if you did that, and there is a next logical step, which is the offer, and the next logical step is the product, don't you feel like that if they've had a great experience in the free world, they'd be more likely to want to continue that experience inside of the community and the and the closer, more intimate relationship in the paid world as well. It's more of a hard approach where you just, if you focus on the experience and you focus on delivering an amazing journey, you kind of let the results take care of itself.
0: So we're talking about intentionality here. You need to have the right intention.
1: Yes, and you have sort of outcome-oriented goals and you have process-oriented goals. So you know this is the same thing with with tennis, and it's actually a definition in sports psychology of choking as well. You know, when people, you know, maybe you get to a point, you've seen people who are perfectly capable of, let's say, serving a ball, you know, you know, they've done it a million times before, but they end up, you know, choking and then they may have been in the lead. And then all of a sudden they're starting to, you know, shots. That I'm, an all day, that, every the day. I'm an expert at that, by I'm
0: oh, talented at choking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, usually what it means is you're actually starting to think about the outcome rather than the process. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And you get too far ahead of yourself. You can't act on the outcome. The outcome is simply the result of a process. You can actually act on the process. And in tennis, it's the ball, make this serve, make this return, yes. make this shot, make yes. this shot. I can do that. And if I keep doing that, well, what do you know? I win the point. In my conversation
0: with James Clear in episode 175, which had a pretty big impact on me, he's a guy who wrote Atomic Habits. And I soon after created a training inside my membership program. Around how to set goals. And what I did was, I said to our members, look, I think it's important we all have goals and you should set quarterly goals and definitely set yourself stretch goals, but then map the goals to habits and live in the habits. Because if you spend your entire quarter with one eye on the goal, and I'm not saying don't ever look at your goal during the quarter, but if you spend your entire time agonizing over whether or not you're going to meet the goal, you're missing the journey. And the journey is where the fun is. So live in the habits, track your habits, measure your habits, and to some degree, you've got to trust that if you do the habits frequently and consistently, the goal will take care of itself. But even if it doesn't take care of itself, 80 to 90% of the outcome is usually out of our control. Most outcomes depend upon other factors outside of our individual selves they depend on other people they depend on other circumstances we can only control our own behavior so focus on what you can control and enjoy that process
1: i actually believe with offers too i i say that we can't actually sell anything to anyone they have to sell it to themselves
0: i love that so, yeah or- i call it purchase facilitation you can facilitate a purchase but you can't make a sale
1: they really have to sell it to themselves and our um, our job is to give them everything they need to be able to make an educated decision about whether this is right for them or not
0: so in the offer academy then how do you teach people to create these offers that enable people to sell those offers to themselves? Can you talk to us a little bit about
1: that? So I've, I've got this, um, it's like a five-part framework that I actually uh, do, you know, everything that I teach sort of fits into this five-part framework and five parts, alignment, inspiration, clarity, opportunity, and then invitation. The first thing I really try and do is actually create an alignment between you as the as the product producer and also then the people who are considering your product or you're taking on your marketing journey. And so there's so many fun things there about, you know, obviously there's the story and there's, you know, who you are and why you're doing it and all these different things that we actually teach inside of that type of aspect of the Offer Academy. You know, once you feel like you've actually aligned with people while creating that offer, you then want To inspire people. So, you know, not only do you feel like, hey, you know, we've got some things in common, maybe you're talking my my language with the alignment, but now we want to inspire them. So, uh, we start to talk about case studies. We start to talk about, um, you know, describing what the transformation would actually look like, you know, what the benefits of that transformation would be, and actually start to really make people feel like, wow, this is actually possible. And, And I'm inspired by not only the fact that the person teaching me is aligned with me, but also then who's done it before and the other types of people that are also a part of this journey as well. Yeah, then sort of move into the clarity module, which is, it's a super interesting one because we sort of shift from the heart to the head. So those first two are a little bit in the heart and then we move to the head a little bit. And the clarity is where the brain jumps in and it says, okay, cool, you know, I can feel your heart beating, I can feel your heart racing, you know, you get a little bit excited here. <laughs> but then I know that there's going to be a, a credit card transaction coming in, so I need to see some details. And that's a little bit, you know, where we were talking before about 10,000 songs versus, you know, 60 gigs or whatever it is. We're actually now saying, all right, cool, here are some details about, you know, the, the hearts, Oh wow, I love 10,000 songs. And then, you know, it just needs to go, all right, what does that actually mean and and so they can actually help you know with the clarity section of what we talk about is actually helping people you know see what the deliverables actually are and you know maybe if there's going to be the bonuses and like we talked about beforehand where does the product pick them up and where does it drop them off and how do we structure bonuses there's there's so many awesome strategies that you can articulate bonuses in a way that are not the sleazy bonuses mm-hmm. I so much don't like people who are just <laughs> adding bonuses in for bonuses sake I mean I see bonuses as a beautiful opportunity to keep the main thing, the main thing when you're designing your program, but then accessorize with bonuses for people who may not feel like that they're ready for the program yet. So a bonus can get them up to speed or the success in the program may create another problem and the bonuses can help that.
0: So it's kind of like your product may drop them off at a certain point and the bonus may then take them a bit further down. From yeah, and optimal.
1: especially in cases where there may be an objection for wanting this success because they don't know how to deal with it. Let's say your program was helping people give up alcohol, for example. Okay, so they're sitting there going, wow, I really need this. You know, everything's telling me that these are the reasons why I need it. Maybe there might be a bonus which sort of gets me prepared for how to prepare for a life without alcohol or something like that or whatever it might be. I'm just making this up on the fly. But then they might be sitting there going, whoa, in actual fact, if I did achieve... Not wanting to drink alcohol, for example. What am I going to do on Friday nights? What am I going to do with my social friends? Right. What am I going to do on Saturday nights? You know, can I actually still have fun? You know, all these sorts of things. So even them having success in the program may actually bring up other objections. There's all these different strategies that we talk about in the offer accountability. But what you can bonus is then something that aligns with you know that future problem of how to still go to family barbecues and not need alcohol, or still how to still have fun with the same friends. On a Friday night without needing alcohol, or how to handle these situations, how to politely decline alcohol, or whatever it might be. The same thing could be said for if it was about eating vegan and you still had to go to family barbecues, or whatever it might be. So the clarity modules and the clarity part of the formula is about you know getting so much visual around what they are going to do and what they're going to achieve, and start speaking to your current and then your transformation and also the future. So then they can really start to see what the program is actually going to do.
0: And so then that brings Uh, us to opportunity.
1: Yep, cool. And then, so when I see the opportunity, I sort of see that as a little bit down into the nuts and bolts of things where we're actually talking about the price, You know, the opportunity for them to become on board. It's, it might mm-hmm. be the payment types, it might be the subscriptions, it might be different things about is there trials, is there no trials, is there discounting and incentive. I've got a lot of philosophies around discounting and dropping your price. We're just trying to make the offer better and people try and drop the price thinking that it's a price thing, but really it's a value thing and All these super interesting things that I've learned along the way. Absolutely, um, So it's actually then about articulating your pricing and the opportunity way, and especially if you can align it with a couple of different options. If you do want options, how they can actually sit and stack, and you can influence people to either go up to a higher option or to the one that you would prefer them to become a part of. So that becomes the opportunity. Now, the opportunity sits separate to the fifth section which is what I've named, I suppose, the invitation. Mm -hmm. So this is the opportunity. The product might sit there. Your product is not your offer. You know, the offer is different to your product. The product is a part of your offer. So the opportunity has a price and things like that. And then the invitation, we sit there and go, okay, well, there's a window of time in this invitation. It's for the next four days only. Or maybe you'll decide it's open all the time and then you'll have other incentives for people to make a decision, you know, by a certain time. And I know that you, you chatted to Jack Bourne, about deadlines and about the deadline about how fun. to create deadline funnel and how to create authentic deadlines as well. That's definitely something that mm-hmm. we definitely want to shy away. I heard a story recently about a client of mine, Susan Garrett, and she was wanting to buy something about taking photos on the iPhone and and then it was like, okay, you know, ends midnight tonight. And the next day she was reminded, ends midnight tonight. And then the day after <laughs> she's like, I would have bought it, but, you know, the marketing actually turned me off. So yeah. she didn't Cause buy it. Lying. Because it's lying. It's basically
0: on- being untruthful. And as yeah. soon as someone's untruthful, you lose the trust, right?
1: Yeah. And then you kind of feel like you're just buying information. And A lot of people, I we've evolved beyond information, almost like information is probably becoming more on the free side of things and people are buying experience and community and belonging. And um, That's a very
0: interesting insight.
1: Yeah, and especially then if, you know, trust is lost early in the relationship about deadlines, then that might be something that turns people away early in that relationship so yeah yeah, the invitation i see is you know you know guarantees in the window of time and real deadlines i'm sure you're like most humans as well that we make the decisions very very close to the deadline you know when i watch every single launch it's, it's so interesting and this is the thing that i love about human behavior where usually what ends up happening is the in the last 24 hours of a window no matter how long the window we end up doubling the sales. If you've done 100 sales leading up to the last 24 hours, it'll be 200 sales by the end of yeah, midnight that night. Right. It's just It just kind of doubled. There was only one exception to that. And there's been a few asteroids hit the earth this year. There was definitely an asteroid when the closed cart was when Trump was coming in and the election was happening. And it was the final decisions for that. And it was like, we're coming into the last day of the launch. And, you know, preparing to double and all the traffic was going awesome and then all of a sudden we're like, Hang on, what's going on? And everybody's eyeballs just went to a different place. Yeah, and uh right. That was the only time that it hasn't really come in at almost double the result. But what it does is it it sort of highlights the opportunity there for bringing people to a decision. You know, it's not about twisting people's arms and, yes. and selling them something that they don't need and all that sort of stuff. That's just all wrong. But wh- if it does help people make a decision and it does help them to a better version of themselves and feel like that you or your product is the best way for them to actually do that, then we're helping people, helping yeah, people make that choice.
0: I like that about in. people stepping to better versions of themselves. Stu McLaren does some massive launches, and I know his launches are getting bigger and bigger.
1: I know Stu very well. We've yeah. actually sat in this room here. I was on his podcast early talking about offers.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Stu and I were stuck in a car park once. This was the day I met Julie Cairns, and she was going to give him a lift home. And I offered to do that, and then they lost my car keys. The hotel, we were at a conference and the hotel lost the khakis. So we were stuck there while they were looking for the khakis. They couldn't find it. And the poor guy had to catch it, get home himself. Mm -hmm. Stu and I have a few common friends. I don't know Stu very well personally, but seems like a lovely guy. Something that I wanted to touch on, two things, actually. One thing was pricing. You mentioned pricing, and that's a very challenging thing I've noticed for a lot of people. In episode 52, I talked about how to 10X your prices with a guy called Kyle Tully. And I loved his approach to it because, he, as you said, he said that pricing is not as big an issue as most of us seem to think it is. There's a whole lot of other factors of which pricing is one, but there's a whole lot of other factors that factor into someone's decision whether or not to purchase a product. For example, proximity to the person delivering the product, accessibility post-purchase, is the person reliable, is the person trustworthy, are the claims they're making claims that sound reasonable and that they can fulfill. And to that point, you know, I am soon going to be closing the founding member intake in my membership program and the price is going to go from $99 for founding members to 3.99 for new members for the same product. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. founding members get grandfathered in and they'll be saving 300 a month for the life of the membership. But I've been scared to announce a date because I'm not sure that all the things are going to be aligned by that date, so I keep on putting it off. But when I do announce a date, I will honor that date and people will not be able to get in as a founding member once I close the founding member intake. So I think having authentic deadlines is important and I love that the deadline funnel allows you to do that because for whoever goes to that particular page, the countdown timer is unique to them. And so if they go to that page three days later and it said the deadline was closing two days from now, then three days later it would say it's closed, but to Another person who just went on there yesterday, it would still be ticking over and available to, to buy. So I think you made a good point about being authentic. Now, on the point of being authentic, I've been around in the digital marketing space for almost 10 years now, and you've been on, around for a long time. I've seen a lot of very epic promises that a lot of digital marketers make. In some cases, they don't deliver on them. And while they make that sale, there's a loss of trust in the brand. Because my view is if you make an offer, you need to somehow over deliver on it, otherwise, don't make it. But then the other challenge is your offer needs to be bold and compelling enough for someone to want to buy it. So, what's the balance between finding an offer that is compelling? And I, I'm guessing that it comes down to empathy and making it compelling to the right person, but something that's compelling and screams of value, but then you can fulfill that promise and over deliver on
1: it yeah it's definitely one of those things that a lot of the things with when you do put your promise out there there's a bit of a strategy where you actually think about your promise and it's hard to sort of creep your way up you know from a promise so a lot of the times what i try and do is what would you promise if you were never going to get in trouble there's no such thing as getting sued or you're never going to get in, what would you promise And then that makes you think, you know, big. You start to think, oh, wow, they could have this in 90 days. You know, you have to be truthful. It's like, yes, they could have that in 90 days. Okay, now you tone it down from there. It's like, all right, cool, but what's real? It's much easier to start big and then scale it down from a uh, marketing and and excitement perspective than it is to sort of start to creep your way up from what you believe is reasonable in a way. The language completely changes. That's super um, useful, thank you. It's yeah, and you just go,, whoa, just think massive, and then scale, you know bring it back down from there and um tone turn, turn the promise down. But was your question about the ability to make it sound amazing, but not be something that's you know false promises in a way?
0: Exactly. That's exactly what I was asking because, In terms of brand, the brand that I want to build and the people I work with, I want them to build brands that fulfill on the promise. And we don't make false promises. We make bold promises, but we over deliver on the promise. So the customer feels delighted. And as Seth Godin says, fulfill for one or two or three or five people, but then they go and tell their friends and their friends tell their friends and it grows that way. That's the kind of product we want to build. That's the kind of business we want.
1: Yeah. And that's where case studies of your students are your best marketing at the end of the day. If you can help people get amazing results and then you showcase those results so you shine the light on your students and the results that they were able to achieve, that's your best Hmm. marketing in a way because it's actually about real results. And then those real results will make other people want to get real results as well. So it, it does snowball when you can actually get real results. 100% with you. Fortunately, a lot of the people that I end up buying, a lot of my courses and the people that I'm involved with, and I think we're in similar sort of circles in that regard, are the more... Trustworthy, and that's one of their high values as well. I know there's a whole other world out there where people are just making sales and not caring about people. Any world, yes, uh,
0: absolutely. They yeah. just make the sale and don't care.
1: There's a lot of things that are holding people back as well because they feel like, oh, hang on, I've might have done this in person, but I don't. I'm not sure if I can actually help people in a group, or will they get the same results in a digital course? And and so a lot of the time, people want to make an offer. And they feel like that they need to, you know, start to play small because they get a little bit worried about can I deliver this? And they'll actually start to squash their belief and their trust and they'll start to lose sight of the value and
0: how do they tackle that? That's a very important point. So how do we head that off at the pass?
1: How do we solve that problem? We need to remind people to actually see their value, you know, reflect back on the story, reflect back on the, you know, the empathy of, of this person who is still stuck where you previously were stuck in a lot of the cases of the, the people online these days is that they're teaching to the former version of themselves. So you go back to that place and you actually start to see what time am I spending? What money am I spending? You could be helping people have more mental clarity. You know, if you had better mental clarity, would that mean that you would perform better in your job? Would you make better decisions? Would you do this? What impact would that have on your experience of life, but right. maybe also economically as well? Would you then be able to work more hours because you're less anxious or ask for a higher paying job because you're now performing better. And all these different things that you start to actually build up so they can actually see the value, not just try and put a dollar price per module or per video or something like that, because we our brain wants to anchor to something of value. And there used to be this big thud factor where it was like, oh, yeah, it comes with 40 DVDs or something like that. But would you pay $2,000 for 40 DVDs? I've now got a job. I've got a 40-hour job to watch the DVDs. Exactly. I was just going to say, you're, you're not only pay paying $2,000,
0: you're paying yeah. 40 hours of time, assuming it's yeah. an hour a DVD.
1: Yeah, I'd pay $2,000 for the one-hour version. Actually, I'd probably pay $3,000 for the one-hour version because exactly. then I can get on to implementing.
0: <laughs> so. Spot on. Man. I, I totally agree. But then again, that depends on who the target audience is. If the target audience is someone who's time poor, they would pay the extra money for the one-hour version. Yeah. So yeah, good point. To your point about case studies, I learned a framework from one of my mentors and it's basically a very simple framework, which is the before, during and after. So you just talk about the challenges that your ideal customer was facing before they came along to work with you. The during talks about system or the framework that you, your proprietary system framework, like my nine step business growth framework, they used and then the result they got, which was 10%, 20%, 30% increase in profitability within six months or whatever it was. And I've been using this simple framework to record a lot of video testimonials with my members. And I'm very excited to put them out there. And at the moment, I've just been uploading them onto the website. But is there a particular time or place that me and people listening to this episode should be sending their testimonials, these case studies to their audience? Should they be sending it at a certain point after having made the offer or where, where does it fit into that scheme of things?
1: You can be sending them even before, depending on what your marketing is, they can be used as awareness things as well. So you can even just oh what, there is people actually leaving their corporate jobs and living this type of life. Oh all right, cool. You know, before they even enter into your marketing journey, they they can be used as awareness things. But certainly inside of the marketing journey, and I know you talked before about tags and things like that. So actually in your email software, if you're able to gather the intelligence of of maybe where they're at when they actually join your journey, then you can use the intelligence of tags to actually deliver different case studies to different subsets of your audience. So the actual case study matches where they're at. If I was sitting there and I was in a corporate job, and you're you know, sending me a case study of how someone went from six to seven figures, that may have the opposite effect on me because that's like, oh, this program may not be for me because it helps people go from six to seven figures. Whereas if the case study that you were able to use the tagging intelligence and go, all right, well, for everyone who was tagged as this or or clicked on this or read this article about you know, how to live your corporate job, cool, I'm going to send them the case study yes. that matches where they're at. Yeah, that will and be like escaping
0: the corporate cubicle case study rather than how to go yep. from six to seven figures, yeah.
1: So, yeah, so using those case studies, definitely when you, know, you you could be doing that in awareness phase, which is before marketing, but then obviously to um, remind them and maybe overcome some objections by using case studies while in the decision-making phase of an offer as well.
0: In terms of tagging, by the way, definitely I recommend if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, head over to productiveinsights.com forward slash 199, where I talked to Barry Moore, who's got a brilliant tagging strategy, which you can download from that episode. And Barry Moore used to be a combat pilot. So he's very good with process. And he also has been dabbling in marketing automation for a few years. But tell me what a software... He dabbles very, very well. Yeah. Oh, you know Barry too?
1: (laughs) Yes, I know. Yeah, I actually saw Barry last week. He was walking down the street here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's just very sharp. I've got a lot of time for him. He's been on the podcast three times. And yeah, he's. I love his tagging framework. It's so simple, but fantastic. The nomenclature he uses, you know, the prefixes, that just makes the whole tagging so much more organized and simple. What software do you use for your tagging? And what do you recommend, by the way, just out of interest?
1: yeah active campaign is the oh, one you that, do. yeah yep yeah. yeah. obviously back in the day with Aweber, Infusionsoft, Drip, yeah you know, a few of the different ones, and they all have different strengths and uh, weaknesses and things like that, but I, n- I enjoy and recommend active campaign at the moment. We've
0: talked about several challenges. we've talked about several mental blocks that people can overcome, and you've been extremely generous in terms of sharing your knowledge. So thank you for that. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to just go through and quickly summarise our conversation and pull out some action steps for our listeners. Or viewers and then we'll talk a little bit about more about where they can find out about you and about the offer academy so we started off talking about you know your journey and the fact that you worked in software and i did too you've got a very broad range of experience which has obviously helped you to build this skill around creating really compelling offers you've worked with the likes of jeff walker Stu mclaren and some very successful entrepreneurs So you've been around some very smart people and that, I have no doubt, has helped. You also have a really lovely approach to life and it's a very inspired approach and I'm sure that factors into your offer creation too. So I thought that was a lovely start to the conversation. We then talked about the importance of understanding the customer and where they are on their journey. We talked about visualizing where you pick the customer up on their journey and more importantly or as importantly, where you drop them off in terms of your product. And then you talked about how bonuses may actually sort of take them a bit further down that path. So it wasn't about just throwing bonuses in there for the sake of it. The bonuses should be relevant and ideally enhance the underlying offer. And I love how Apple has a very interesting and layered approach to their product strategy and I sense that your approach to bonusing core offers is similar to that. So we talked about that. And then you talked about your five-step framework, which I absolutely loved. And that was alignment and inspiration. The first two steps were around the heart-centered Elements And then clarity was more sort of dealing with the head and the logical aspects. And then the opportunity, which talked a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of the offer. And then the invitation, which was inviting the customer to make the purchase decision. I love the point you made about not being able to really sell to someone that's not really possible. Ultimately, the customer sells to himself or to herself. We just facilitate that process. So we provide them with information. And this is where Barry Moore's approach to tagging and really understanding your customer based on behavioral segmentation and tagging helps you use marketing automation to be able to put the right targeted offers or testimonials and so on in front of the right people at the right time. We also talked about the importance of having deadlines and authentic deadlines, not you know scammy and spammy deadlines. We also talked about how to strike a balance between not emailing your customer too much, but at the same time, not squeaking out your offer from the corner of the room so no one ever hears you. And I think a lot of that lies around, again, empathy and understanding your audience and being able to make offers to them based on where they are on their journey. The other big hack for me was when you're coming up with an offer, don't start with a fear-based offer where you're thinking small and then sort of ratcheting up a little incrementally start big and then think okay now where can i get into trouble here and bring it down to something that is real that is grassroots down to earth and that you can over deliver on but you need to start with that big vision and as i say this i realize things like the iphone or any other great products came from this unreasonable huge vision before the iPhone was created, getting rid of a keyboard sounded ludicrous to most people, but it came from that space of real audacity.
1: Is there anything else you would like to add? One of the big things that I really feel and would love to share and see people do is the step where I believe that you need to fall in love with your offer first. Yes. So yes. I'm, thank I'm, you. I really believe that you need to sit there and you need to say, wow, you know, I am so proud of the transformation that I can I can give to these people. I'm so proud of the the product that I've created. I really believe in this offer. I really believe that this person is in this situation that this is the best place for them to spend their money and their valuable money and their valuable time. You know, don't forget that people are giving us their time to and you just fall in love with that. When you can truly believe that you are in love with your offer then think about the things that you do. You speak about all the things that you love doing, whether, you know, guide surfing, surfing, you know, you talk about the things that you love. So I really um, encourage people to try and approach their offer with that same view of falling in love with their offer first so that the prospects and the people who hear about it do also.
0: So how do we know when we have reached that point? That's a very important point you've made. Thank you for bringing it up. That can be, if there's no other action step you take away from this conversation, take that, develop something that you fall in love with and that you're proud of. So you follow those five steps that we talked about earlier on and definitely check out the Offer Academy, which you can find out more about at ProductiveInsights.com slash Offer Academy, all one word. But how does one know when they have reached that point where they're just like, yes, this is the
1: offer? What I believe is it's a feeling. It's like a form of love. Your heart skips a beat, or you just feel lighter. You just feel like you would tell anyone about it, which is almost the opposite to what people do when they they fear their offer. Yeah. You know, they feel it. They feel salesy. They, if you could walk down and just feel like, wow, you know, whether it's your mum, your neighbour, whoever, it's like tell someone about your offer you're just so excited you know sort that's of like the, an
0: inventor who's just invented this yep. new thing
1: and that's where it is a really a nice outcome of an offer and this is where you know in the offer academy talk about it's an art and it's a science it's a heart and a head it's a dance of communication and when you do get that it just feels right you know you can deliver on it you know that students will get the results you know they'll get more results than what you're saying that you are actually promising And you feel like the price is right. It just matches. And you just feel like you're just like, wow, I love this offer. If someone would have offered me this back when I was in that place in my life, wow, I would have spent the money without even, you know, thinking. Actually, fall in love with your offer first.
0: Great. Thank you. That's fantastic. So once again, you can learn all about the Offer Academy by heading over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash Offer Academy. That's one word. And Michael, how do people find out more about you?
1: Yeah, michaelmaidens.com is the HQ for most of the things that are going on.
0: That's michaelmaidens.com, spelled M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-I-D-E-N-S.com. Is that right?
1: Yes, perfect. Yep.
0: Cool. So I'll definitely link to that in the show notes of this episode. And you can check out this video and a whole bunch of other videos, everything I've mentioned by going to youtube.com forward slash productive insights or ProductiveInsights.com forward slash podcast. So thank you very much for being on the show, Michael, and I look forward to having you on again sometime.
1: Awesome, thanks for having me. Thanks
0: for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes
1: below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?